Greetings, everyone. Welcome. My name is Andy Neal, and you're listening to The Hiker Podcast. that gets to know the hikers behind the trekking poles, the podcast that asks the why questions of hiking, the podcast that takes me, Andy, still a relatively new outdoors person and hiker, and asks other hikers and outdoors persons, how has hiking changed them and how are they changing the world around them? That's right. You're listening to the Hiker Podcast. The Hiker Podcast is, of course, brought to you by Sawyer Products, makers of all the repellents and all the things help you repel insect-borne illness while on the trail. Uh, we'll have a little, little commercial from them here before our interview, which I'm super excited about. But uh, they make some amazing products. And, of course, you know, the Sawyer water filter when you're out there on a backpacking trip. Do not drink water straight from the creek. Guardia is the thing. You don't want to do that. Uh, I love my Sawyer squeeze water filter. Use it on the rags, even during day hikes. I love them so much. Also, this particular podcast is uh, sponsored by, fueled by CS Instant Coffee, uh, but they have been sponsoring us for well over a year, including while I, uh, I was, I was doing this interview. I was drinking my CS Instant Coffee, makers of the best the best instant coffee you'll find on the trail. Sustainable packaging, all that fun stuff. Um, get yours. Link in the description of this episode or go to hikerpodcast.com for all the information. Ian and Monica are amazing, and they've been so amazing to me, and I'm excited that they are still a sponsor of this show. And, of course, we cannot forget my friends up in Portland, Gilad and Mika, Canuck Outdoors, makers of the carbon fiber cork trekking poles and all your water storage needs. Yes. Um, I, I work some with some amazing companies. Um, Canuck is, of course, one of them. Uh, they are a B Corp. They are all about sustainability, right to repair, and their trekking poles are quality. And the reason they make such high quality trekking poles is they don't want to fill landfills with broken trekking poles. And it, they're just amazing. So check them all out. Um, I do need to shout out this week. This entire episode was recorded in the podcast studio at Catalyst Ashland. Catalyst Ashland is a co-working space podcast studio that is doing amazing things here in Ashland. It is owned by my friends Precious and Andreas who are doing amazing things here. If you are ever in Ashland, Oregon, in Southern Oregon, and you need a co-working space, a, a place to set up shop for a day or a week, um, check out Catalyst Ashland. I'm going to have information about them and what they're doing in the description of this episode. Uh, but this week, I am so excited to have Tara Laidlaw on the show from the Southern Oregon Land Conservancy. This is the first ever in-person episode I have ever recorded of the Hiker Podcast as far as like having the interviewee like across the desk from me. It's always been remote, the pandemic, and uh, I met Tara on a hike with my daughter's class. She led two hikes um, through different areas of Southern Oregon and did an amazing job. And I asked her, would you love to be on the show? She said yes. And she's doing amazing work here in Southern Oregon uh, for land conservancy and, and education in environmentalism and, and um, the different lands and public lands and, and, and teaching kids and adults um, what's around us. And we just had a really great conversation, everything from her story to climate change to how to be good stewards on the trail. So without any further ado actually there will be further ado because we have a quick word from sawyer products but right after this quick word from sawyer my conversation with tara laidlaw from the southern oregon land conservancy 
We're Sawyer, and since 1984, we've been creating technically better solutions for peace of mind in the outdoors. Why? Because we believe everyone deserves to be safe. We believe nature wants to be explored. We believe industry standards should be exceeded. We believe nonprofits deserve some of ours. And we believe the outdoors is a place for community from the backcountry to the backyard. We're more than an outdoor company, and we believe a thank you is due to anyone who supports our products. Because of you, we spent a decade teaming up with over 140 charities in 80 countries, bringing Sawyer water filtration systems to people in need all around the world. You help us aid refugees, disaster zones, and life-saving efforts around the world, perhaps without even knowing it. So thank you from everyone here at Sawyer. Together, we are saving millions of lives. So this is the first time ever I am doing a live in-person interview for the Hiker Podcast. This podcast has been going for almost two years and everything's been Zoom, which I am so sick of Zoom. And we have for the first time on the Hiker Podcast, first in-person live interview, Tara Laidlaw from the Southern Oregon Land Conservancy. Tara, how are you doing today? Great. I am so excited to be here talking to a real person instead yes. of a screen. It's, it's, this is weird. And the pandemic's really not over, right? There's no. enough immunity out there that it's, it's cool. So before we get into the conversation, just go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, where you come from. If you were hiking or climbing somewhere and you introduced yourself to someone, what would you say? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I'm Tara. And I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, which meant that I had super easy access to a lot of really fun outdoor places. Mm-hmm. Um, notably, I was fortunate enough to grow up in a family who has a very small, rustic, off-the-grid cabin in the High Sierra. Very nice. Which was, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but was incredibly formative. Um, spending summers up there, just like scrambling around on the granite, turning over rocks, building houses for chipmunks, like swimming in the lakes. Um, that that really shaped my relationship with the outdoors. And I didn't realize it at the time, but that like set the groundwork for an outdoor career. Um, and so I'm super lucky to get to do that for my job, to be outside. Um, but I also love just like hiking. Sometimes I'm power hiking. Sometimes I'm like walking real slow and looking at every flower. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call myself an expert at anything. You know, like I'll try climbing. I'll try mountain biking. But mostly I just like being outside. Very cool. And you work with the Southern Oregon Land Conservancy. It's just how I met you. You were actually leading hikes for my daughter's classroom. My daughter goes to a, a, a charter school that's really hands-on, kind of almost Montessori-esque. And I, I had gone with her. Part of what I love about what I do is I get to go. My daughter says, hey, can you come on a field trip with me? Yes, I can go. I can take the time off. And I went, and you were just doing such an amazing job with these kids, way more patience than I ever would have. <laughs> I mean, I yell at kids on the trail when they get off the trail. I'm like, leave no trace, kid! Right. I mean, you heard my daughter on both hikes. She was telling kids, don't pick the flowers. The pollinators will get mad. You have incredible patience with these kids, even when they're, you know, they'll understand, leave no trace. Talk about your work with the, how you got, how did you get involved with the Southern Oregon Land Conservancy and, and what you do there? Yeah, absolutely. So I just totally lucked out with this job. I, I, <laughs> I love it so much. And it was a bit of a lateral maneuver for me. Um, I, I've been in place-based environmental education for my entire career, 15 years now. Um, and for most of that, I was working in um, more residential programs like summer camps, mm-hmm. outdoor education facilities, um, where I was 
based on a single site um, and and using that one site as a classroom. Okay. Um, and most recently, I was with a YMCA back east. I was their farm director for seven years. So I was managing an educational farm, helping them build out some new science curriculum to use elsewhere on the property. Um, and so it was a bit of a transition to move into working with a land trust that was new for me. I basically knew nothing about land conservation <laughs> when I applied for this job. And it turns out that um, not that many land trusts have a dedicated education staff member. Um, SOLC is is um, kind of unique in that way, um, and a big part of it is that land conservation, I have come to learn, has been largely by and for rich white people, mm-hmm. wealthy landowners, um, for as long as it has existed as a practice and as a field, and SOLC is really making an effort to reach a more representative slice of the community. Um, and and part of that is that in 2017, they purchased this really spectacular property right down on the Rogue River, 352 acres. It was this huge community lift to do the fundraising. Um, and by owning a property, rather than simply putting a legal easement on someone else's property, suddenly SOLC had the option to host field trips nice. and to open the gate and say, let's see who we can get out onto this property. Um, and so that was kind of the the catalyst for needing to hire an education person um, because suddenly the opportunity was there and they didn't have the staff capacity. And so I lucked out. I was able to scoot in um, and scoop up that position about two years ago. And you get to work in the outdoors. Your job is literally taking kids on hikes sometimes, Yes, which is absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah. I can't, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I'm just starting to get into this realm where I, I work in the outdoors. Like right. part of my job is to go out and take pictures in the outdoors. I'm still like, I don't need to be in an office. This is absolutely stinking amazing. Now right. That, SOLC <laughs> is based here in Ashland, Oregon. I do want to yes. say this is the first time recording in downtown Ashland, which is an amazing city. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Catalyst Ashland. Big thank you to Catalyst Ashland for opening up their podcast studio to us. Backing up here a little bit before SOLC, talk about you grew up in the Bay Area. You had, you know, a, a, um, a place in, in the Sierras. Talk about growing up in the outdoors in your family. How did that love of the outdoors really become instilled in you to where you're like, I want to do this for the rest of my life? Yeah, I mean, just being around adults who want to be outside and who get excited about looking at the flowers or going for a hike or, you know, not worrying if you get totally trashed because you rolled around in the grass or whatever. That was huge. And it turns out that there's some research. um, And of course, I want to preface this by saying research in the like academia, white Western way of Mm -hmm. knowing, which is not the only way of knowing. But there is research that says that having unstructured playtime in the outdoors with an adult who's modeling just like being curious and being excited to be outside. You don't need to know the names of things. You don't need to know what's going on. Just like having fun outdoors, that tends to um, like s- create a foundation for future sense of stewardship and envir- pro-environmental behavior. And so without even knowing that that's what was going on, that's what was happening in my family. Um, my mom's parents purchased the cabin um, decades ago and so it was a multi-generational thing Um, and and so I didn't even understand that it was um, that it might be unusual or weird it 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 was just how it was we went to the cabin in the summer (laughs) 
<laughs> we went hiking. We went swimming. Um, and it wasn't until I got into college that I realized that that was a, actually a pretty special and unique um, resource to have in the family and to have the the parents and the social group around the parents who were like, yeah, let's go outside. Let's go live in a cabin with no bathroom, <laughs> you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think that positive modeling from an adult or from many adults was really um, like a cornerstone. And what's funny is I never, like, I wasn't a super outdoorsy kid. Like I wasn't a tomboy like particularly outdoorsy kid I loved being at the cabin I also equally loved reading on the porch of the cabin and mm -hmm. like drawing pictures and so nobody in the family expected that this would become a career like we, it kind of came out of left field when I discovered that outdoor education was a thing I was like yes this is for me we were like oh okay but looking back <laughs> it's so clear that the time in the family um in the family cabin with that support network was like the reason and it's funny how that works out because i grew up near los angeles and around las vegas i grew up in a time where you know we'd be running around playing on the street and your mom would you know whistle the street light would come on spent a lot of time on public beaches california mm -hmm. state beaches and when i when i graduated high school I, I considered myself a city kid i was never never in the outdoors i'm like no if, if if i need to hike somewhere it's not worth it if i can't take if i can't take a can't take a car it's not worth it for me to go and right. it wasn't until recently i discovered the outdoors even living i mean Gosh, I, I lived in Crescent City for two years. Mm. Never once visited the Redwood National Forest. What? <laughs> I went to the Redwood National Forest for the first time with my son three months ago. No way. And I'm like, my house literally was 10 minutes from here. And ah! I never <laughs> went to see the Boy Scout trailer, any of that stuff. I'm right. like, because I was just like, no, no. And I, I couldn't mm. get out of Crescent City fast enough to come back to Medford, which at the time was like, well, I was always driving here anyways. Right. And I just completely fell in love with the outdoors. But I didn't realize I'd actually growing up in the outdoors, going to public mm -hmm. beaches, playing mm -hmm. outside, mm -hmm. you know, playing, climbing trees, that yep. sort of thing. And I had this idea that, oh, no, I'm a city kid. Right. And I didn't understand the, the benefits the outdoors could give. Mm -hmm. um, how has that been for you, the, the, the actual like, mental health and physical benefits of being in the outdoors, growing up in that and then into adulthood? How has that influenced what you do now? Oh, my gosh. The benefit is just immeasurable. Um, this is another thing that Western research tells us a lot about is the benefits of being in nature. And of course, when you're a kid, you're not like, this is really good for my mental health. Yeah. You're just like chasing birds or whatever. Um, but now as an adult, especially in this just chaos era, mm -hmm. like what is even happening in the world um, going out even just into my backyard? We, like I don't even have to go out into the special preserve or out to Crater Lake or whatever, like just going outside and sitting under a tree i can feel my body start to relax and you know my mind slows down and calms down and um and having that be part of my job is like crucial at this point i don't think mm -hmm. i could ever go back um and and that's part of what i love so much about the field trips that we run with the conservancy is that i get to invite students to experience that it's not just going out and saying like here's how you tell a white oak from a black oak. Let's identify this flower. Let's, you know, look for birds. We also very deliberately take time to just sit quietly and experience that restorative um, feature of being outside. And it's, yeah, it's so important to me personally and I think also to, um, to anyone right now, like 
we're all being collectively pretty badly traumatized by COVID, by climate change here in the Rogue Valley. The fires are mm-hmm. just, un- you know, like on top of all of the normal other traumas of being human. Um, and so it's it's really special, yeah, both personally and professionally for me to get to lean into the mental health and mental wellness that comes from being outdoors. That was one thing I, I first noticed about when I went on the first hike with my daughter's classroom with, with you. You did that time. Where it was just mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in the Jacksonville woodlands and just sitting there and listening and hearing the wind. And it was, everybody, as much as a bunch of third graders could be, um, <laughs> you know, you could begin to hear the bees buzzing off in the distance and the wildflowers. Mm-hmm. You began to hear, you know, the wind blowing and the, the, the woodpeckers in the background. Um, and something that you can do even in your own backyard. Right. I mean, Jacksonville, it, it is a woodlands area, but you're still near a town. Mm-hmm. You're still not, you can still yes. hear the buzz of the five yep. in the distance. Yep. Um, but something we don't take the time to do. Why do you think in our modern society, even a place like Ashland, which is very, I use the word hippy dippy. I used that in an interview the other day and I got a lot of flack from people in Ashland, but I say that as a compliment. Hey, you hip, say it with love. Yeah, it is. It's Ashland. <laughs> I love Ashland. Um, even a place like this though, why don't we always take that time you think? I mean, I don't know. Like, I wonder that about my own self sometimes. It's like, what are you doing, Tara? I just read every morning I have a little sit, a little meditation. And the meditation a day or two ago was about um, taking the time to eat an orange mindfully, right? And this this process of holding the orange and smelling the orange. And as you peel it, letting the oil spray and reflecting upon how so many systems and so many organisms came together to grow this orange in the first place and then to get it into your hand and then the question was if you don't have time to eat the orange mindfully what are you doing with your time (laughs) and i was like okay this is a really like solid question really good really good point and i think that's just it like we get so scheduled we get so busy you go to work now we're ramping back up into after work or after school activities and you got to go grocery shopping and you got to drive to see grandpa and you got you know all these things it's just like the the habit is to be busy mm-hmm. and it feels comfortable to be busy yeah. right that's what we know it's what's familiar and so taking the time to say just eat the orange mindfully or like just sit and listen to the bees that's something that is um I, I think there's this tendency to want to be productive, um, to be doing something that has like a reason. And it's hard because the reason in these cases of just sitting quietly and mindfully is like to reconnect with, you know, to reconnect my mind and my body and my spirit. But that's not like, it can't quantify that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're so driven culturally by wanting to measure and quantify and compare and whatever that, um, yeah, I think it can be hard to like reel it back in and say, no, just like, just chill. Just chill. <laughs> yeah. And even, I mean, in, in the age of of the outdoor industry, it's gotten so big yeah. with COVID, which is a good thing. But then I find myself, oh, I need to get an Instagram picture of myself on there because right. I'm, I'm working for these outdoor brands, which has allowed me to be in the outdoors and, and make a mm-hmm. living to do this. But at the same time, it's like, how many times do I, I know this trail, I don't need to take my phone, I don't need my GPS right. when I'm in the, you know, the Ashland watershed. I know the Ashland watershed. <laughs> it's fine. I'll be good. Leave my phone here. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll take my GPS just in case. You never know. Right. Um, my, my, my little locator. Right. But like, no, well, what if I get this picture and I'm wearing a Columbia shirt and they might want to, right. and, it just, and we're constantly doing this, doing stuff for the yeah. gram, doing stuff for yep. TikTok, and we're never yeah. just sitting and enjoying. Right. 
what's around us. Right. Yeah. And and it's something that I need reminding to do. And it's something that I find. So I often use that silent sit activity that you were describing um, at the end of a field trip. And um, I give the students permission to do nothing. And I think they need to hear you're allowed to just lie there and watch the clouds go by. And that is so countercultural today. <laughs> it is. Like, how could that possibly be countercultural? I don't know. But to to have to say that, you know, to say to offer that to students and then have them sometimes have, a, I think, a pretty profound experience is, um, on the one hand, incredibly gratifying as an educator. And on the other hand, super sad that this is like I'm carving out 15 minutes of a field trip for them to understand that it's okay to to do nothing and they still have value they still have worth mm-hmm. um they don't have to be producing something all the time that's <laughs> so weird how, how we feel that way now we always yeah. have to be producing something yeah. always be on our phones doing right. this stuff even when we're going out to get away from it all. right yeah you still it's so hard because it just fits in your pocket yeah and like now even like there's places up in mount ashland now where oh i have i didn't used to have service yeah. here i have service here now right good but but also we had that happen at the cabin for years and years and years cabin was the cabin was just totally off grid Mm -hmm. there's no road access you like you have to hike or row a boat in so of course there's no service but then you know it turned out that if you held your phone in a (laughs) certain corner at a certain height then all of a sudden you could get one bar of service and then the next year there was a few more bars and it's like "Mm." on the one hand cool because i can check my email and on the other hand like oh spare me this was my little <laughs> sanctuary <laughs> that's why i had uh, friends of ours have a cabin out near coos bay out in the middle of nowhere it's off it's, it's off a lake you have to drive down you know 17 dirt roads to get right. to it it's completely <laughs> off grid and it's on a dock there's a dock there and i was on the dock and all of a sudden i walked up and my phone's in my pocket and i got ding ding ding, ding. i'm like this very spot i have service and my wife's like, what are you doing? You keep going down there to check your phone. Right. He came here to do the exact opposite. Right. Like, you just saw a bear on the road. <laughs> we drove up and saw, we saw a cub just across. Yeah. There's freaking bears up here, and you're worried about, you know, what your Instagram notifications are. Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really alarming how addictive it is. Yeah. It yeah. is genuinely addictive, and it, it's a hard, it's hard to, like, disentangle yourself from mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So, shifting gears here a little bit, yeah. as, as an, educator you're giving children the permission to do nothing be in the outdoors um and maybe this might be a little controversial and i like to ask outdoor educators about this we live in a world where climate change is a thing the science is is real yes Uh, we live in a region where in southern oregon very very polarized you know ashland's very liberal medford's kind of in the middle you go north grants pass um gold hill very much more right-leaning a lot of controversy about, you know, whether climate change is a thing, taking care of the environment. Even on the, face, the, the local outdoor Facebook groups, you have more of the, the hunting four-wheeling groups over here. You have more of the, mm-hmm. the hiking, climbing groups over here, and they don't really talk to each mm-hmm. other. You're dealing with kids from all over Southern yeah. Oregon yeah. whose parents may or may not think taking care of the environment is important, may or may not believe climate change is a thing. How do you tackle those issues with these kids so they come out with a love for the environment and realize that we need to take care of it and steward it yeah that <laughs> that is that's a very low question. question of our times um and i think such a big part of it for me my approach is creating a a framework 
during our field trips for students to have a really positive outdoor experience. Because again, there's that research that says a positive outdoor experience um, with support from an adult, like modeling from an adult, is is a key component of future pro-environmental behavior. Mm-hmm. And if these students are not necessarily getting those kinds of experiences at home, whether it's because of a family's politics, whether it's because of their access to outdoor spaces, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the adult schedule doesn't allow for taking a stroll, like what for whatever reason, if the students don't have that, then this field trip is an opportunity to tap into that a little bit. And my hope is that by taking students outside and saying, look at this incredible place, like this is so cool, and modeling genuine awe and wonder and curiosity and excitement, um, that will generate some kind of um, like reciprocal excitement and for stewardship and caretaking. And of course, this is a very hard thing to track. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I get to see students sometimes a couple times in a year, which is really exciting, but sometimes I only see them once. And so it's impossible for me to know like how many of these seeds are growing and germinating. Um, but yeah, I think that rather than focusing on with these elementary grade students rather than focusing on the science of climate change um focusing on a genuine love of the land and its many inhabitants uh human and otherwise um that that i my hope is that that will start some kind of interest in taking care of it um with older students we're actually building out a program um, for high school students now in partnership with Southern Oregon Climate Action Now and UNETE up in Medford um, that'll be for high school students and specifically about the science of climate change, what it looks like in our region, health effects on our communities, but also what students can do themselves to take action. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that if you're going into the science of it, it's really important, like as an educator, if you're going into the science of it, and if you're going into the like, here's the chart of how we're pretty screwed. Yeah. <laughs> like the the science is telling us this thing that is pretty um, uh, unavoidable. Um, if you're going there, that is so fraught. That is so stressful and traumatic that it has to be tempered with, um, it, okay, so what are we going to do about yeah. it? Other than just like, curl up in a ball in a corner and cry. It's an existential crisis and <laughs> oh, it's causing 100%. existential dread. Like, yes, it's absolutely. Horrible. Like I recently went through a, the the Master Climate Protector course, which was wonderful. So much incredible content, awesome speakers. And also at the end, I was like, time for me to find a therapist <laughs> <laughs> because it's so huge. And so, yeah, you have to be super careful when you're talking with students about this stuff because... Um, yeah, regardless of the politics of it, regardless of whether um, the the family or the community believes in climate change, it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's it's traumatic, and so um, leading with love and leading with compassion in those programs, I think, is is really critical. Because otherwise, you'll just turn kids off of it, and they'll be like, "Up, oh, game over. The polar bears are dying. Yep. You know, I can't do anything about it." But focusing on our own community, our own landscapes, um, looking at how can we help build a resilient landscape and resilient communities that has a great deal of value? Mm-hmm. So working in Southern Oregon, 
what what are the effects that you are seeing? I mean, I, I can name them off the top of my head, just, you know, you know, humidifier, obviously, things of that nature. Um, what are the, the effects of climate change that you are seeing here? I've been in the, I've been in the region for 15 years. The winters, when I first got here, were always generally very wet. Yeah. Um, they're not, the summers were pretty mild. They're not anymore. I've seen that in my 15 years here. What, as someone who works for the Southern Oregon um, Conservancy, Land Conservancy, what are you seeing just out on the trail? Oh, God. <laughs> It's, it's pretty alarming. Of course, there's the drought. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, you go out to Emigrant Lake and... That's not a lake. It's that's not a, a lake. A it's a puddle. Um, you know, there's the fire, the secondary effects of fire, the smoke. Um, but on the trail like this year, the wildflower bloom was early. By Way weeks. early. Way. Like, what the heck, flowers? I don't blame you because the weather patterns are telling you one thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but... There are like they're all connected to other species, and all so of our blue, all of our bulbs start coming up in February. I was like, "What dude, the heck?" Yeah, my garden was so confused this year. Uh, yeah, and so that's one of the most evident things. But again, that's only something that is evident if you have been here for a while and you know, mm-hmm. like, when do I schedule my table rocks hike for yeah. maximum flowers yeah. or whatever? And suddenly you're looking at your calendar. Or you're hearing the word on the street that the flowers are in full bloom and it's two or three weeks early. Yeah. Um, and so that's one that is not like Emigrant Lake. Anyone can look at it and be like, bah, <laughs> yep. the fires, of course, like catastrophic, um, it, just disaster fires. Um, and I should say the ones that are in town, catastrophic disaster fires, the ones that are out in the woods. We disrupted the fire regime. Those fire, you know, those forests need to burn at some point. Yeah. So catastrophic isn't quite the right word, but the ones in town are absolutely catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And so those those things are are more evident. But yeah, flowers coming early, um, and then of course the pollinators that visit those flowers might not be in town yet if they're migratory, yep. um, or if they're insects, maybe they haven't hatched out yet. And so then we start to see these cascading effects. Um, we're seeing. Um, invasive species have an easier time in some cases mm-hmm. um and then there's like stacking issues compound issues like scotch broom which is an invasive plant it makes beautiful yellow flowers it's a nitrogen fixer there's a lot to love about it it's However, everywhere however right <laughs> it is everywhere i was just on the east applegate ridge trail it's oh my like, god Shoosh. it's everywhere um and it's extremely flammable mm-hmm. right so not only is it gaining a toehold over a lot of our native species because the native species are having a harder time because the climate is changing. Now we also have this like explosion. I mean, it's been, this is not new. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scotch broom has been around for a while, but this incredibly flammable plant, which then is like cyclical problems. Yeah. And it's funny you said, cause I, I, I do um, photography for uh, travel Medford, which is the mm-hmm. um, chamber of commerce. Mm-hmm. They have me go out and do hikes. And I got a call from my contact there. She's like, I need you to go out to cathedral Hills in Grants pass. I'm like, Oh, that hike's not scheduled till June. It's like, no, this is late March. The wildflowers are blooming now. No. You need to go out there now. Uh, I'm like, okay. <laughs> and it was just like, it never. It, yeah. it's usually a muddy mess out there right now. And right. But then it started raining again, and it's been weird. And, it's, right. and that's just in, in, the, in the West. We're seeing it right. all over. Everywhere. Coastal regions right. are completely out of whack. And right. So how is the Southern Oregon Land Conservancy responding to that, not only educating kids, but, you know, advocacy and other things to help as a small local organization you can't do this huge lift but what can we do here locally or wherever people are having people listening all over the world Mm -hmm. what can people do locally 
to advocate and, and help try to turn the ship on this? Yeah, yeah, um, that's a great question. And this is something that we as an organization have really elevated in our um, priorities just in the last couple of years. Um, I would say the biggest thing we're doing is we are working with partners. Mm-hmm. Nobody can do this alone. Like you said, we're just a little organization. Um, and so looking for other organizations, other agencies that are already addressing this from other angles and looking at where we overlap, looking at how we can support each other. Um, we're part of a connectivity network that is a, a big collection of um, agencies, organizations, landowners, I don't, I don't know who all is in it, but it's all about looking at um, landscape scale resilience, right? Because the Southern Oregon Land Conservancy, we protect about 12,500 12, acres, um, but it's in bits and pieces. And so we can't look at a truly climate change resilient landscape um, without also talking to BLM. And without also talking to private landowners and also talking to, you know, whoever else has a has a horse in the race, which is everyone. everyone. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that, you know, we know we can't do it alone. Um, and so we're seeking out opportunities to partner with folks who bring other um, resources, other ideas, creative solutions to the table and finding where our strengths can can dovetail Um, And that's how I'm getting through this is, you know, like me personally as an individual, like changing my light bulbs to LEDs isn't actually going to change anything. Yeah. Like it's just not. (laughs) Um, And so how can I plug in with bigger um, efforts that have a chance to move the needle? Mm -hmm. Exactly. I love that you mentioned Udente um, Mm -hmm. here. I had a chance to work with them in their response to the Almeida fire working with uh, many of the migrant workers who had lost mm-hmm. everything. We lost over 3,000 housing units, right. uh, many of them lower class, people of color in Southern Oregon. And they, I mean, they're not an outdoor organization. They're an advocacy yeah. organization for the Latinx community here in Southern Oregon. But they have a stake in this. Right. And everybody has a stake in this. Whether I've talked to business owners uh, um, out in San Francisco who are like, people in, uh, in Silicon Valley didn't care about this issue until mm-hmm. their sky was orange two years ago. Right. Then like, okay, we need to figure this out. Right. And that's, that's a, in fact, one Seems like a lot of these, a lot of people don't really understand it till they it comes to their doorstep. Absolutely. They're breathing that air and like, oh right. crap, this is real. Right, like, oh, it looks like the apocalypse outside. Exactly. Perhaps I should be concerned about this. Am I in Blade Runner? What's going <laughs> right. on? Yeah, exactly. And we're so like that's a great example with Unete. We know that the Latinx community here is being impacted by climate change disproportionately. Usually disproportionately, yes. And we also know that, as I mentioned. Land conservation has largely been by and for white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, at this point in time, SOLC, the Conservancy, does not have a lot of great relationships or inroads with the Latinx community. But we need to be in it together. Like it needs to be a massive collaborative effort. Same with tribal communities. And mm-hmm. so we are committed to the relationship building that just takes a long time. Yeah. This is slow work. It's generational work. And um and yeah, it's like it's going to take us years to build those relationships. And this program that we're starting up with them is a first step because this has it has to be we need everyone's voices. We need everyone's input. We need everyone's experiences. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Exactly. And it's funny. I think it was right after the Amina fire. I had heard on NPR something that 
local county and state officials were meeting with um, indigenous tribal leaders to find solutions to the fire problem. Right. And we had Dara Blackwater on, on, on the show a few weeks ago, and she was talking about how fire, we see fire as an enemy. Uh, and she works, right. you know, with the digital divide in native communities. Um, she's Dine um, Navajo herself. Mm-hmm talking about how we need to view fire differently. Right. And she's talked a lot about that on her podcast. We don't know what we don't know. And to right. be able to partner with these, you know, with the different tribes who have been dealing with fire for thousands of years. years. <laughs> and it was just yeah. this novel thing when I heard on NPR, like, oh, you know, local governments can be talking with the tribal communities. And it's like, right. oh, what a novel idea. Let's talk with the people who've been stewarding this land for millennia right. to see how right. they didn't have fires come here. Oh, right. and um, Dara told the story about how one of her friends um, would go out to the forest and would light fires mm-hmm. to help control the burns. And they were yeah. told to watch out for the green trucks. And that was the forest service right. because right. Um, they would send children to do this work because they were, they didn't think that um, someone for the federal government would shoot a kid lighting right. a fire. Right. It's, just, it's amazing how these relationships are just broken down over time, how we mm-hmm. have to build it with the Latinx community, uh, black indigenous people of color, um, because this is an all of us problem, right? And it, I just, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that wow, what a novel idea! I, I know, yeah, it really. I had the incredible fortune and privilege of um, spending some time living with an Aboriginal family group on their land title in Western Australia as an undergraduate, um, and they they used fire as a landscape management tool. Mm-hmm. Um, they had this incredible burn mosaic that meant that they always had plenty of food. Um, it, you know, everything was in a different stage of regrowth. And it like, it blew my mind, right? I was like, what is this? And then fast forward 15 years and now we're like just starting to get the picture. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's and like, oh, is, come on. And, and this is no secret. <laughs> no, like it's no secret. And yeah, like you said, it's that breakdown of relationship mm-hmm. um, both between people and the land and also between people and people, or maybe yeah. there was never a, a relationship there to begin with. Um, and repairing those relationships is is crucial. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we don't have the luxury of time and it's a challenge because we need to do this yesterday. Yeah. And it's funny because um, many people know I, I used to be very, very conservative, very right wing. I was an mm. evangelical pastor for 15 years. Uh, if you look in sacred Jewish and Christian texts in the Old Testament, they have something called the year jubilee. It's letting your land rest. It was crop rotation, right? Like right. This, the, for <laughs> this, this, this stuff is there. It's in it's it's in sacred text and religious text right. to let the land rest and do these things, and right. yet we just don't get it. Yeah, yeah. We um, the colonial approach of bulldozing, mm-hmm. um, and then the capitalist approach of more, 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 yep. more, um, make for an incredibly potent and destructive combination that yeah now we're trying to like unravel mm-hmm. um and you know fighting swimming upstream in a stream <laughs> that like doesn't exist anymore because of the drought um so yeah it's it's a it feels like a a huge undertaking it feels like the work of a of an entire in kind of in the same way that like countries had to mobilize to go to war in world war ii mm-hmm. we need to mobilize to address this global crisis um but like you said until it's on your doorstep uh, it's easy to to just turn away um and it's on too many people's doorstep already yeah um so yeah it, this is a big concern of mine <laughs> so shifting gears from the big existential <laughs> sure. stuff great yeah let's more, get away from more, that. <laughs> more towards hiking um 
I get a lot of questions from parents about hiking with kids. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I've been asked to do videos about it and do podcasts about it. And I haven't talked about it too much. Uh, I have three kids, two with special needs, all adopted from foster care. The outdoors has done amazing things for their mental yeah. health. Um, it's been the one thing where I've seen major effects. And um, I've been talking to people trying to get some sort of um, outdoor mental health um facility for kids mm-hmm. who need healing who've been through mm-hmm. trauma and that mm-hmm. sort of thing in this area there's some in Bend, there's some in portland but i'd love to see that here in southern oregon but you work with kids all the time yeah. what would you tell a parent who's like i want to take my kid out on the trail i want to take them out hiking um but i don't know where to start should i go out and buy them trekking poles should i go out and do right. all this stuff uh, what what would you tell someone who's like i want to get my kid out there but or i'm afraid of bears i'm afraid of mountain right. like, i get yeah as a hiker who's out there, you know, several times a week, I, I laugh at that sometimes. I'm like, oh, there mm-hmm. are no bears. But no, this is a legitimate concern if you've right. never brought your kids in the outdoors. Right. What would you tell a parent who's listening or, or maybe someone that have a niece or a nephew mm-hmm. or a neighbor's kid they babysit mm-hmm. and they want to take them in the outdoors for the first time and expose them to the trail and to hiking? Yeah. Well, first of all, you don't need anything fancy. You don't need any special gear. Um, I will say there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing choices. Um, you know, but if you don't have... Like, you don't need the super fancy, like, high-tech raincoat to go out in the rain. Literally, a trash bag will work. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> like, got a hole in the bottom of a trash bag. You've got yourself a poncho. Um, you know, so certainly dress for comfort. A kid or an adult who is too hot or too cold or too wet or whatever is not going to have a good time. Like, step one is take care of the physical self um, and... It, that also includes making sure you've had a snack before you get on the trail. Bring water. Um, and then once you're out there, it, you don't have to know anything. Like just being excited to be outside is the name of the game. Um, and I often tell people I, I lead hikes for adults too. And people will have these really involved questions for me about like, I have no botany or whatever. I'm like, I have I stay ahead of fifth graders. I need to stay ahead of fifth graders. And so that's like kind of where my knowledge maxes out. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Like, and honestly, you don't even need to stay ahead of fifth graders if you're not sure of something. I always turn it around on the kids. They're like, oh, what's this flower? It's like, I don't know. Let's look closer. <laughs> Let's like count how many petals it has so that when we get home, we can look it up on the internet. You know, there's, you, you don't have to be an expert in order to model curiosity and wonder. And it's that curiosity and wonder that will keep someone coming back. And there's no shortage of things to be curious about outdoors and you don't you also don't have to go to a a park or whatever you can do this on your front stoop like there's a spot on my curb on my street where like a piece of the concrete has fallen off and there's like a tiny like a complete tiny ecosystem growing out of this like chunked out concrete (laughs) right and so that's literally just on the side of a road in talent and I could spend a month looking at that, looking at it up close, maybe bust out a hand lens that you can get for $3. You know, you don't need anything fancy, um, but just, yeah, like getting curious and being like, whoa, look at the shape on this. I've never seen anything like that. Or like, dude, the shape of this leaf reminds me of Batman's head. You know, like it, it doesn't have to be like nature nerd focused. Just let it be fun and exciting and let your kid draw connections to things that they already know mm-hmm. because that will help the experience stick in their brain um, if they're if they're drawing the lines to things that are familiar then it's easier for this this 
outdoor experience to to stay. Mm-hmm. How do you, as one of the leads hikes for elementary students, keep kids on the trail, keep them, educate them in a way that they're not bitter or mad at you about yeah. things like leave no trace yeah. and like don't pick the flower, don't don't smash the bee, right? Things like that. Because I mean, one bee is not going to hurt anything. But if you have a kid who goes out and just by the time they're sixteen, right. they're 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 whacking beehives because they think it's fun. Right. How do you instill that into kids uh, at such a young age? Yeah. So I always tone set with a group. That's like a pretty important step one. Um, and whether that's when I sometimes I get to go into the classroom ahead of time. Um, sometimes it's just at the trailhead. Uh, but I like to talk about. Um, the respects, the four respects. And the first respect is respecting yourself. Um, and so that, like, a one way to respect yourself is staying on the trail, especially if there's an area with poison oak, mm-hmm. right? I, like, and I hate to use fear as the motivator, but <laughs> but it does work really well. Um, but then also um, respecting others is another one. And so if a kid is like, well, I'm not allergic to poison oak because there's always the one kid who says that, then I remind them that well, just because you're not allergic doesn't mean your friend or your adults or your mm-hmm. teachers aren't. And if you go roll around in the poison oak and then you high five them, that oil then transfers, right? Yeah. So thinking about one step beyond your own self. Um, I also ask them to respect the environment. And what I like to tell them is that everything out here is someone's food or someone's home. And so when we pick a flower, we're taking away food from someone who lives here. If you move, if you like pick up a rock and take it with you, that was someone's home underneath there. Um, And so putting it in the context of like empathy and relationship, I think goes a long way, both for like peer to peer relationships and student to land relationships. Mm -hmm. And yeah, of course you're always gonna have the kid who just gets so excited about a flower that they pick it and they come (laughs) show it to you. And you're not gonna be like, don't pick the flower, you know? that is a beautiful flower. Thank you for showing me. Next time, leave the flower and come get me so I can look at it with you and leave it attached and growing. Does it work 100% of the time? No. (laughs) Is it a good try? Yes. And then just also modeling that, right? Mm -hmm. So if there's a place where I'm going to go off the trail so that I can address the whole group, I'll say, I'm going to step off the trail here really carefully please keep your feet on the trail Mm -hmm. so that we're just showing it's sometimes it's okay to go off the trail. You don't necessarily always have to stay on the trail. Cool stuff happens off the trail, but we do it mindfully. Mm -hmm. What about adults? (laughs) Since the pandemic, I mean, myself included, outdoor industry has blown up. People are going outside and it looks like, and I get asked all the time, do you think the outdoor, the the trendiness, the outdoors is here to stay or with COVID, you know, subsiding, restrictions subsiding? It's going to go away. My answer is it's going to keep going because people have figured out the benefits of it, right. you know, going for a stupid hike for your stupid mental health. Um, <laughs> yeah. One time I make a reel. Yeah. Just, anyways. Um, and they, they've realized this. It's not going anywhere, but there's so much education that needs to be done. Right. What are you seeing as someone who's out in the outdoors every day as as positive and negative impacts of this explosion of the interest of hiking in the outdoors yeah i mean obviously it makes my heart happy to see so many people taking advantage of this incredible resource that's all around us um and the flip side is like oh man my favorite trail is crowded today like what is this and so i have turned it into like a personal growth (laughs) 
experience you know like i'll see someone hiking with a little speaker i'm like dude why would you do that but then i take a moment to check in with myself like this is how this person is reaping the benefit of nature mm-hmm. and if we're moving in the same direction i can pull off the trail for five minutes and let them get far enough away that i can't hear the music if we're passing this way like you know passing each other on the trail it will be five seconds until i can't mm-hmm. you know and so just like relaxing my own expectations about what it means to be outside and what it means to recreate or whatever like no dude like everyone is different and so everyone is going to be outdoors differently um and so yeah that's been a like personal work (laughs) for me to do and that's a hard thing to tell someone else like oh just chill out like remember they're just doing their thing so sometimes when I'm with a group there's this little bit of like you know we give each other the side eye (laughs) and then it's like okay we're moving on um but yeah it's it's a challenge and it's certainly like I know that we struggle with that at the conservancy we want people to be able to come out onto our conserved Mm -hmm. lands we also want to make sure that they remain really high quality habitat and that means minimal human presence and so how do you negotiate there's that tension yeah and i think it's inevitable um just because of our population density at this point um i think it's inevitable that there's always going to be that question of allowing versus restricting access and you know, who is benefiting from those choices. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just super important to be mindful about who is losing out on those choices, um, like because of those choices, especially on the human community side, um, because there are so many communities that are, as you know, often left out of outdoor recreation, you know, either um, by design or accidentally. Mm -hmm. And so just being really, really careful about when you're, making decisions about access who is who is being impacted that you might not be thinking about necessarily yeah gatekeeping is a huge temptation for me yeah because i go out favorite waterfall the next day i see someone post on instagram i'm like no but i'm like right it's okay it's okay or like even like group hikes you see group Mm -hmm. hikes and like why no all these people like well these this group hike has allowed people who may not have access to a vehicle right. or parking might not passes, be comfortable going by, themselves. Comfortable going by yeah. themselves to do this. And it's like, I, I mean, I, I have a car, I can afford, right. you know, a national parks pass. I can, these are right. things that why, who am I to keep anyone out right. from accessing these spaces? Right. Now do we need to help try to manage them and, you know, lobby our, 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 our elected officials for more infrastructure, you know, more, more parking, more, mm-hmm. maybe even more better systems of permitting that are less restrictive. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. But it, it's, it's this huge, it's this huge tension I'm constantly living in because right. there's been times as someone who's, you know, has a large following online, I'll go on a trail. Perfect example. I went on the East Applegate Ridge trail two weeks ago, 50,000 followers. What do I see on my feed from local people the next weekend? Right. And what's in my inbox questions about the EART? Right. I want people to experience that. But it's like, right. oh, gosh, what, what <laughs> right. what's my responsibility? Right. Yeah. How do I manage that? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's definitely something. It's a good it's almost a good problem to have because we right. get people out in the outdoors. Yep. Like you were saying with children, they learn, oh, we need to respect this. We need to take care right. of this. So as hikers, though, this area is 
known for hiking the Pacific Crest Trail, mm -hmm. runs right through here. We have thousands of hikers coming through here a year. Um, people flying in from all over the world. I once mm -hmm. drove, I used to drive Uber and Lyft. I had a lady who came here from Germany just to hike the Southern Oregon section of the PCT. Wow. It was insane to me. What, do, what can hikers do to help conserve while on the trail these lands, whether it's on the PCT or East Alpine Ridge Trail, the Rogue River Trail, or wherever they find themselves? Yeah, I mean, the the like easy answer is stay on the trail, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. But like I said, there's if you are mindful about when you go off the trail, like sometimes the magic happens when you're not on what might feel like a superhighway. Yeah. Um, I think being mindful about leave no trace. I have a little bit of a. I have come to learn that leave no trace is negotiable um, from an indigenous perspective. Yeah. Right. There are a lot of traces that need to be left. It's um, it's, 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 it's it's naturally very western western centric concept. Absolutely. Hearts in the right place. Right. Yeah. So like, pick up your trash. Obviously. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Like, yeah, don't leave your junk around. Yeah. Um, make sure that you're leaving the place better than you, cleaner than you found it. Um, we like to tell folks, if you are familiar with what yellow star thistle looks like, if you're familiar with what scotch broom looks like and you see some growing on the trail, pull those babies out. <laughs> you know, we need all the help we can get with invasive species management. But then, yeah, like when you are talking about your favorite places, like you're saying, advocate for them mindfully. Um Maybe don't organize a group hike of 50 people. Mm -hmm. Organize a group hike of 10. Um, and, and of course, it's going to be super personal and it's going to be dependent on every site. Um, but I think that being an advocate for mindful outdoor recreation um, is is the most important thing we can do for conservation. Um, because not everyone has land to conserve not everyone has money to donate not everyone has time to come volunteer and so just talking about the value of of these open spaces and the importance for humans and for our na natural communities um you know like why you love being there I, I feel like that has so much value and again like we can't quantify it so sometimes mm -hmm. it's undervalued yep. <laughs> um but yeah, just just being being a champion for these outdoor spaces um, and being a, a champion for spending mindful time in these awesome. outdoor spaces. Tara, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story and your expertise. If people wanted to find out more what you're doing and in the Southern Oregon Lab, Land Conservancy, where would they go? Yeah, so you can find us online at www.landconserve.org. L-A-N-D-C-O-N-S-E-R-V-E.org. All of our information is on there. My contact info is on there, too. Always happy to get phone calls, emails about this kind of work. This is what I really, really love to do. Awesome. And last question. I ask every guest this. Okay. Ultimately, how has hiking in the outdoors changed you? <laughs> wow, gosh. Um, yeah, that's a big question. And it time outdoors has let me become, like, the fullest expression of myself. I get, I get to do something that I love for my work. I get to do stuff that looks an awful lot like work on my free time. Um, and, and you know, I get to live in a beautiful place. My mental health is the best it's ever been. Like, it, the, the benefit is um, truly immeasurable. Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, this is such a pleasure.
Thank you so much, Tara, for coming on the show, and thank you all for listening all the way through. Um, I'm hoping to have more and more conversations in person here at the studio at Catalyst in downtown Ashland because it's just it's a different dynamic. I. I I love having conversations with people uh, remotely and even Zoom and video type formats. But when you're in a room with someone and you're both passionate about the outdoors and about the environment and, and hiking and outdoor recreation, there, there's a different energy. And I was super excited to have Tara here and just and be able to talk with her about everything she's doing. And we could we probably could have talked for another hour or two. And I'm, I'm she'll be on the show again. I absolutely guarantee it. So thank you all so much for listening all the way through thank you so much for um, supporting the show if you want to find all the different ways you can support the hiker podcast you can go to hikerpodcast.com go to see our sponsors there you can support the show on patreon all different kinds of things a great way you can support the show is just sharing it if you have friends who are into the outdoors and hiking share this show big thank you to garage grown gear for naming the hiker podcast one of the top 10 outdoorsy hiking backpacking podcast to listen to was so excited garage grown gear has been great to me they've sent me stuff over the last two years um that's how i got hooked on a trail bidet don't down the trail bidet i i, I that's how i got hooked on it they sent me one for free and i'm like oh my oh my gosh this thing is amazing i'm not bringing trail toilet paper anymore and i'm sure you all wanted to know that um but yeah go to hikerpodcast.com for all the pertinent information and i just want to encourage you guys to get out enjoy the outdoors whether it's in a green space in your neighborhood or in your front or back lawn or if you don't have a front or back lawn just go for a walk if you are able um the outdoors has so much to offer if you'd like to contact me you can contact me andy at hikerpodcast.com that is the best way to do it if you want to see what i'm doing you can follow me on instagram or on tiktok at andy films and hikes and of course, you can follow the Hiker Podcast on Instagram, find out all the latest that's going on at Hiker Podcast. And you can just go to hikerpodcast.com for all that. Guys, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being awesome. And thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hiker Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>